morning. Children are dismissed to Children's Church. We're trying to, until the coffee bar, which is almost completed, and it's looking amazing. Um, yeah. Thank you to the Phelps family uh, for doing so much. I know there's a lot of people helping, but Glenn is... Uh, Glenn has been down there sweating and building with all of the stuff he has going on, so thank you, Glenn. And just so you guys know, if you don't know and you've never worked on a church building, I do think there's a spiritual aspect that comes into play, that there is a bit of warfare. When I used to try to fix the plumbing, I'd have to think, is today the day that I want to call the city because we might have a problem if it breaks behind the wall, right? And that is just the way it is. It seems it, this place can be one of the more difficult places to fix things, especially on an older building that was built by a lot of volunteers, bless their heart, right? So no complaining, but give up prayers for those that are working, and thank you for all of uh, you out there that are making a difference. And I'm excited to, to have this, this coffee bar thing has been in the works for a long time. And we believe it's going to be a great ministry for the community, the youth, and for us to gather together and just have fellowship. Amen? So what a blessing that is. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you that you give us everything that we need to live this life, Lord. I thank you that your word is sharper than any two-edged sword, and it rightly divides our souls asunder, Lord, that it helps us make the right decisions, Lord, that through your word, it uh, gives us all things. And so, Father, I thank you for all that are here today. We ask that you would bless this time, that, Lord God, you would open our hearts to your word and that we can learn and grow together as your body, to be a light in this community, and the hope that we have, Lord, that it would be shown to all through our actions and how we live. So, Lord, I thank you for that, and I thank you for your wisdom and your guidance. May you guard my lips and bless this time. And all God's people said... Amen. If you would turn with me to Romans, we're going to be in Romans 4 and 5. But I thought it would be good to also look at a little church history. Because I believe all throughout time, God has used individuals to bring about his purposes. And what I mean by that is even in the Old Testament when Daniel, there were certain kings that God used. They didn't know they were even being used, but God's providence, God's is all-knowing, and God can do all things. Amen? So even though someone might not know, but God can transition and move things all throughout history. And I believe when, when any church is growing and, and doing something great, that there's a time that it might give itself over to the flesh. In other words, they're not thinking about the purposes of God as much anymore but more about themselves. When I think about that, I think about like in the, old, in the New Testament, we have the Pharisees and the Sadducees, right? We had the Jewish Christians that, that had the law, had it all, but they didn't like the way Jesus came. And so they wanted it their own way. Maybe they liked the control, who knows? And I believe even today that there could be places that start in humility and they grow and they're a blessing to many people and God can still use them even in the midst because he's faithful to his word. So someone who goes to a place that might not rightly represent, I believe if they're truly seeking, God will bring them around and they have to make a decision because God is faithful. And if someone is seeking, I believe God's fair to give them the truth. There's somewhere they have to make a decision. And so what had happened in this time, this a thunderstorm, a 22-year-old man was standing out and, and during a thunderstorm, he had a revelation and the call of God was upon his life. 
And so what does he do? He vows to become a monk. And he goes off to become a monk uh, in the Augustinian order against his parents. They didn't like the idea of what he was doing, but he was fully committed. He came from a middle-class family, and this is in a society that was very feudalistic. In other words, it was a monarchy. It was the, the, the classes were so farly separated in between one group over the other, okay? And so in this, when we look at it, we're going to get to see the difference in God's mercy and his grace as he puts it upon this man who in his bravery got us to where we're all here today in one way or another. God used him mightily because he was upset with the way things were going in the church. The church who was trusted with the word started to go off and waver and start using it for to prosper the church and to buy more land and to build more cathedrals. And they were forgetting the whole importance of the gospel and that that's what the message was really all about. And we can look at that and go, well, we would not do that. But I believe in the human heart, a man without accountability will do just that. Over a period of time, we'll be self-seeking. It's already inside of us. It's a battle. We have to die to ourselves. And in this place, he stood up for what was true. And one of the things he stood up against, I'm talking about Martin Luther, if you didn't know. One of the things he stood up against was the sins of indulgence. Okay, so in other words, they would sell a ticket, if you will, or a permit, if you will, that you could go and, and, and be forgiven of your, your punishment that would be here on earth. Um, they can't do it for, for what God, but on earth they can say, hey, you know, you had a bad weekend or you wanted to go do something, you can give the church money and we'll give you a voucher, believe it or not. And you could go and do what you're going to do during that week, and then you will be, uh, we won't make this, the punishment so severe. You won't have to say so many prayers or, or help the poor because, you know, you purchased this. And if your kids, guess what? Your kids weren't serving the Lord, guess what? You can purchase it on their behalf. You can purchase it on their behalf, and if they don't know, then you know what, we, we can have people pray for them. In other words, they were fully manipulating the word of God. Martin Luther goes up to the church in Germany, and he stamps this on the church door, and he does this on Halloween, and I thought it was, why did he do it on Halloween? That's weird. Well, it wasn't Halloween. Then it was All Saints Day the eve of All Saints Day. So he did it on a specific time because he knew the very next day he just wanted to debate and bring it before those people and say, hey, we're doing this wrong according to the word. And in, in, in regards, now think about it, back then the church had a lot of power and influence, a lot. In politics as well as how things were to go, the clergy ran the small villages and everything else and here's a man's going, this is wrong. People are to repent because they are convicted of their sins and they want to have a right relationship with God. You can't purchase that. You can't buy that. It has to be a choice. They have to choose to serve and repent, right? It's not something that you can just do it and make it fit in your little convenient box in life. Like, oh, this fits my schedule. To be a Christian is, is outside of that completely because to be a Christian means you don't want to live for yourself anymore. You want to serve God and you want to live for him and you become a vessel that he can use. Amen? I mean, but it was more about, hey, let's build this and make this great and make a name. It goes all the way almost back to the Tower of Babel. Let's make a name for ourselves. 
let's do this, let's be great and big and gigantic, but they were missing the whole point. And I say that because it's important because the very tenants that he put on the door that day, the 95 thesis is what he hammered on the door, that argument that he wanted to bring, and he did it in a very good way. He wanted to just get talk about it, but they didn't want to talk about it. They excommunicated him and kicked him out of the church. But it's important because that's the day the Protestant Reformation has taken place. That's where they'd say our starting point is. Now the Protestant Reformation, what does Protestant mean? Back then it would just simply mean not Catholic. And what I'm saying by, what I'm saying is the very first church was Catholic, well, Jews, Christian, Catholic, which meant universal religion, but it has changed over the years, okay? And the point is because these tenets that he spoke are what we're reading in Romans right now in a roundabout way. They're what we're reading right now. God used this man to shift what's happening in the world today. And I say that because back then you were lucky to live past 50. Just a toothache would kill you. If you were pregnant as a woman, it was almost a 50-50 chance. We didn't have the medical right means that we have today. Everything was so different. If you were a peasant or a poor person, you would probably be poor your whole life. There wasn't opportunity like we have today. And it's interesting when we complain about how things are going now, we are so blessed to just live the last five years, COVID included, is nothing compared to what most people lived at this time in the 1500s. Would you agree? But yet we're like, well, it's hard. We're in air condition, talking about a coffee bar, We're blessed by God's grace that he allowed this man on a thunderstorm is how he had this revelation. He was called by God. He wanted to be a lawyer. God uses him, places him in the, in the group of people with all, all the influential group, if you will, and they couldn't and they didn't want to talk with him. So Pope Leo the ex, just excommunicated him and kicked him out. But you know what? Even then, God protected him because he could have been killed, by the way, but he had enough influence that people protected him and he wrote the first Bible in German that was printed for us today, that is translated all the way down. That's how committed this man was, that he gave it all, his life in trusting God, later married a, a former nun, and they were, became what you would call Protestants. And some of the things that are interesting, the main thing one of the, that he hood on the wall was the sola of scriptura, which means sola meaning one, it means all, that scripture is all we need to have a right relationship with God. In other words, that's all we need for the authority. The authority of scripture is all we need to make the right decisions. In other words, we don't need the papacy or tradition. We just need scripture. Now, I'm not saying some traditional things are bad, but if they, if they, over, if they trump, you, if you will, the scripture, then there's a problem. And that's where he's like, hey, this is wrong. We're, we're selling permits to sin in a way to get away with it so people can feel like they can do, hey, I want to rage this weekend. So my wild oats. Who knows how it was abused? And this one preacher went out. His name was uh, Johann Tretzel. And he goes out and he's like really dynamic at preaching. And then he would push this in all the little local churches or or, or uh, uh, temples, if you will, and get people to, to give this money in indulgences. And he was using fear tactics and manipulating. Does that happen in the church today? 
But see, God sees all that, and he will expose it all, all right? It's not about the money or what you do. When you give, you give because God puts it on your heart to give, right? You, you, you serve because you want to serve. You forgive because you know what it's like to be forgiven when you don't deserve it. It comes from a place of substance, something real, right? And you can't manufacture that, and that's what they were trying to do. And so he spoke against it. He spoke heavily against it. He also spoke against how the Pope at that time or the traditions had the same authority as Scripture. He said, no, that's not how it works. Sola Scripture is all we need. The next one was uh, the sola fida, which is by faith alone. Sound familiar? We're in Romans. By faith alone. It's not by your works. It's by faith. Now, we know later there was churches that were like, well, it's by faith, so I can do what I want. No. It's your faith in Christ that makes you righteous because of what he did. Not because you're a good person or you can follow the rules for a while. We learn from Jesus when he spoke to the religious leaders who, in, 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 in their view, were pretty much close to perfect, right? And he, he says, well, if you've even looked at a woman lustfully, you've already committed it. Because they're like, well, I can think however I want as long as I'm not physically doing it. And he made it a little closer to home and said, no, when you even think about it, you are now judged by the law, basically. That's why we need a redeemer. That's why we need Jesus. Right Now I can preach to the choir, I'm, I'm, I believe a majority of you know that, but even I think in our, in our, our, it's hard as a man or a woman, it's hard to believe that we don't have to do something, right? If you, there, like I remember one time I wanted to help my neighbor a long time ago. He was struggling with a flail mower putting the blades on. And I remember because, just because I had struggled, and I had bought the stuff and finally figured it out, and it was quite easy after I figured out how to do it. So I wanted to go over and help him do his. I thought he would be happy. He was after I showed him the first part, and then he took over and did the rest of his mower. But he's like, well, then if you help me, then I got to feel like I got to go over there and help. He just, I got to feel like I got to help you. And it's like, well, that's not why I came to help him. I just wanted to help him because I know how much of a problem it was. But some people think that, well, don't do something nice for me because then I got to go do something nice for you. Have you ever thought that? You're like, I don't want to feel like I owe you. You don't think we do that with our faith? Well, God, I know I want you to help me, but I mean, people struggling in their faith. I wouldn't say people that are here, but people that are like, well, I don't know if I want to serve him. I know I need his help, but I don't know if I want to live for him. You see, there's a difference. You can't know him unless you're willing to live for him. You can taste and know that the Lord is good. You can have an experience, but it will not sustain you alone. You need a relationship, amen? Religion is a false form or, hey, we're gonna do this, look at all the good stuff that we're doing, you know, kind of thing. But that's not what God was ever after. He says, what? True worshipers will worship me in spirit and in truth. There's no facade. There's no, there's no, uh, it's someone that knows they're in need and they're willing to ask for the help. Humility is, is like the catalyst for our growth in Christ. And that's hard sometimes, isn't it? But I think of Martin Luther who did all of this schooling, all of this education, and then now gets excommunicated just because, here's the guy translating and putting it all together, and he's like, whoa, wait a second. 
This isn't what it says, basically. And they fired him, got rid of him, tried to taint his, and look what God did. Took that and built most of what our Western Protestant movement is based on. This man who went to the church and nailed something on a door on the, on the on eve of saints day so that the next day when people come and gather for the veneration of the saints, they'll see it and go, oh, wow. He wanted people to talk. He wanted debate. And instead, they got rid of him. But God was faithful to his word, amen? And in that, we are here today. That's a blessing. The other one is sola gratia, which is grace alone. In other words, by God's grace and mercy, nothing in yourself. And I think of the scripture where it says, no one can come to God unless he first draws them or even puts it in your heart to seek him. But I do believe we have free will in the sense that we choose what we do with that revelation as it is given. Either we try to ignore it, turn the music up, if you will, or try to do something else. But it's in your heart, there's something drawing you because that's God. In his Holy Spirit, he works over us. He, just as the Holy Spirit brewed over creation of the world and brought things into life, right? And, and, and as God spoke, he is truth. He is life. He is working because we are a dead vessel before Christ. We don't know who he is. And there's something more to just going to work nine to five, get in retirement, and leaving it for your kids or whoever else is behind. There's more to life than meets the eye. I, everyone knows that. Right? It's in the heart of man. It says in Ecclesiastes, he's put in the heart of man. He set eternity in our heart. We're looking up. We're knowing something more. And this early church was in this place of not fully grasping and understanding because you had people who knew what it was like to be fully forgiven and those who think they didn't need much forgiveness at all. Those who thought that they, they were probably really narcissistic in the sense that they thought they could do no wrong. And that person is kind of poisonous. Someone who is never wrong is dangerous to themselves and to others. Heads up, you all know that probably, right? Self-reflection is important. It's important. So that's a history of Martin Luther, and I think it's important because it kind of gets us to where we are because as we're reading in Romans, they're dealing with the same thing. They're saying, hey, you Gentiles, you need to do what we did. You need to be circumcised like we are, right? And Paul's like, no. It's by faith, because when Abraham got the call, it was his faith that made him righteous, and that was before any of that took place. God was putting it in their heart, and they had to act on the faith that God had put there. They had to do something. It wasn't sitting and being complacent. It was moving. A lot of the times, we want God to do things, and we want an increase in faith. How do we get an increase in faith? What does the Bible say? The word. Faith comes by hearing the word of God. Does it mean you're going to feel like you have more faith? Trust me, there's times you, if you just listen to your feelings, you're going to be in trouble. When we get older, we know, hey, I probably shouldn't trust my feelings. They're not going to be the best guide for me. But as a Christian, you know that when you've put the word in your life, God will use it because he watches over it. The promises of God are for Israel, the promises for, for the early Christians, the promises for Martin Luther are the promises for us. God is faithful. You will seek me and find me when you search for me with all of your heart. God doesn't want seconds. He wants all of us. 
And it's not an outward form of religious duty. Think about it. I could do this and go, well, I just have to say this many Hail Marys or this many prayers or help this many hours in the soup kitchen. That was kind of like the punishment here. And then if that didn't work, it went to purgatory, which Martin Luther also said, no, that's just not even in there. And so he put that on the wall. I just think about how amazing that God used this man. And now we're here today. When all the ships came over, it was people trying to come out and have that religious freedom that they can have without being underneath the overly, at that time, Roman Catholicism. That's church history. Now, do I believe there's people that are in the Catholic Church that know the Lord? Yes. Do I believe the teachings of the Catholic Church are correct? No, I don't. Because I believe, just as he said, the word is enough. Jesus is enough. You don't need a priest. You can go to the great high priest, as it says in Hebrews. Right? Now, I'm not, I believe there's people in there that have the light and God can use them, but I'm not, that's for God to, to sort out. But as far as the doctrinal, do I believe you need the church and tradition to be saved? Absolutely not. You need Jesus. That's what you need to be saved. So if you have a relative that's Catholic, no one's bagging on Catholic. I'm just telling you church history, look it up. It's important to know. I do think some of the disciplines of the early church are, are beneficial, but as far as when it comes into the Pope has the same authority of Christ, absolutely not. Did we not learn anything in the Bible? The earlier priests couldn't get forgiveness for their own sins. They had to have someone else do it. We have the one that stands in the gap, Jesus, for us, and he's who makes us whole, and our faith in him is what makes us righteous. And out of that trusting in him and you wanting to serve him, you just don't want to offend him, and that's how sin begins to fade away in your life. If you love someone, do you want to offend them? It grieves you when you offend them, right? When you love someone, it hurts your heart to let them down. I'd say the greatest way to motivate people is where they have enough respect for you. This, just listen to this respect for you in the way that you handle yourself in your character that they don't want to let you down because you've stood and showed a good character someone that could be trustworthy and we can that's just on a human level but we have Christ who made a way for us because we couldn't make it he made a way for us so that we can now stand in a new place as a new creature in him, and our past is no longer what holds us, and we can look ahead and go, I am in Christ. It doesn't matter what's happening in the world. He has me. He holds me. Right? So as we're in Romans, we left in Romans chapter 4, verses 20. And it's speaking of Abraham, right? It says, Yet he did not waver through unbelief regarding the promise of God, but was strengthened in his faith and gave glory to God, being fully persuaded that God had power to do what he had promised. This is why it was credited to him as righteousness. The words is, it was created to him, were written not for him alone, but also for us to whom God will credit righteousness. For us who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, he was delivered over to death for our sins and was raised to life for our justification. Now in chapter 5, therefore, since we have been justified through faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand, and we rejoice in the hope at the glory of God. Not only so, but of the rejoice in the glory of God, not only so, but we also rejoice in our sufferings 
because we know that suffering produces perseverance and perseverance character and character hope. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out in his, his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So he's saying to this church and these believers that because of the faith that you have, there is hope. Because of that, we have true hope. It's based on that you are forgiven because God loves you. Now, you've got to work out your salvation. You're not working for it. You're working it out in your life, that sanctification that comes from trusting God to work in your life. That's where it says later, it says faith without works is dead. In other words, you can't just say, I have faith in God and live like a heathen. Now, you might have ups and downs, but you should be growing in your walk with God. You should be getting closer to him. You should be able to say, you know what, Sean, you are not the same Sean that was in 2022. You are different. You are changing. You are growing in your walk in relationship with God, not by just religious acts, but in your heart, there's something that's taking place. Have you ever asked God to change your heart? Have you ever asked God to give you patience? And then that week you go to the store and it seems like you're learning it, right? Right, if you ever asked, when we ask God, when, especially when it comes to him glorifying himself through our lives by being servants unto him, there's something that takes place. We get to participate because we are yielding to him. And I, I'm telling you, it brings not only an increase in faith, you can go, you know what, I'm struggling, but I remember that time God did this just like he said he would. I believe that's where it says in Revelations that we overcome the enemy by the word of our testimony. I have experienced God in this way and it's real. It's not your experience, this is my experience. I have trusted and called on God and he was faithful. Now, why we can struggle in that area, I think it's just because on this time, when we are living in this world, if we look at the wrong thing too long, we get distracted, we get discouraged, and then that's when the enemy just loves having his heyday, right? But when we trust and seek and wait patiently for the Lord, he's always faithful. I love that because we live in a world, you could wanna be the most faithful person you want to and you are gonna let people down. But God will not let us down, amen? Do you believe that? I mean, I believe you're here because you know that we need help in this world. Hopefully you know you need help, right? I can tell you God can change your heart in an amazing way and it just sometimes it takes time. Sometimes it's instantaneous, it just happens like wow. But then there's other times you have to work it out. It's a progress, it's a process. And then when we go through a trial, some of us just run and think the enemy's attacking us. No, maybe the Lord's allowing this trial in your life to grow and stretch you. I don't know, if, I mean, we're also just in a fallen world. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. Sometimes just bad things happen because we live in a world, but you can pray and seek him and go, God, what are you doing in this? How can I navigate this because I'm getting angry? How can I keep my heart soft? How can I look at people as people made in your image instead of the boxes I put them in, right? We all do it, right? How can I do that? I can't do that without you, God. We can't be a church that's loving without Christ. And you won't know how to actually give love and I believe really share the love of Christ with people if you haven't received it for yourself. Some of you don't understand that you are a new creature in Christ Jesus. You're still wearing the same old clothes and God wants to give you a new robe to put on. That you don't have to live that way under bondage anymore, that you can be different. 
You can serve and seek him. And I believe it says, blessed are those who seek the Lord. Amen? It's a true. If you, if you seek him while he may be found and you trust in him, you will be blessed. It might not be the way you think, but you will be blessed. There will be a change that takes place in your life. And so he's saying this even in Romans. He's saying there's a peace that comes. In verse 6 it says, you, you see, at just the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous man, though for a good man someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were all still sinners, Christ died for us. When we do things as humans to each other, usually we expect it to come back, right? Like a business transaction. I helped you. You help me. Now, I don't think everyone, but deep down, that's kind of how the world works, isn't it? You scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. And if it's not, then we might get bitter. We'll say, oh, I don't, I don't need, you don't need to pay me back, or you don't need to come help me. But then later, we're like, nobody helps me. I helped so-and-so. I did this over here. Anyone ever do that? Talk about all the great things you did and wondering why it's not coming back? Jesus, while we were still sinners, knowing we could not pay him back, knowing that we were, some would spit on him and curse him and, and all of that, while we were yet sinners, chose to go to the cross and die for us. To show us that kind of a love. That's a love that passeth all understanding, by the way. Because I can't grasp that. I would, you know, you, yeah, we would, we would want to be heroic and help someone. And I believe that. And, th and that's in our heart a lot of the time. And those gifts are gifts that God could give you. But Christ, while we were yet sinners, we didn't earn it. We just have to receive it and then live with it. Allow it to change us. And I believe if you've really made the decision. See, the big argue in churches, it, it, the big div divide, if you will, between several two main denominations, maybe charismatic and more uh, conservative, is once saved, always saved. Now let's just play it out for you so you understand what it is. Once saved, always saved. No one can pluck you out of his hand. Have you ever heard that? Well, on the more charismatic side, they would say, well, you can walk out. Well, that makes sense. You could walk out. Judas did, right? I think we're getting caught up in words here. Semantics, if you will. In other words, if you've given your life to Christ, that's something only you and him know. Now, there's going to be fruit in your life. There should be. If you truly are seeking him, there will be fruit. You will know them by their fruit. There will be some differences in your life, and you will be able to walk in a newness of life, and people will take notice, right? I believe that is where you're at. So the, on the conservative side, they'd say, well, you've never really decided. You could be in church, give, and do all these wonderful things, but then fall away, and they're like, yep, he was never saved. Right, where the charismatics were like, yeah, he was saved, but then he walked away. In other words, let's look at it this way. Do we want to be like, what can I get away with? Or do we want to be, Lord, help me. Change my heart because I'm struggling right now. I want to serve you. I want to know you. But sometimes I feel like I'm more attracted to this over here. Or I want to take my life in my own way. What does it mean to really serve you and walk it out? What does that look like? Right? How do I do that in a way that's practical in the workplace when I'm not allowed to do certain things. How can I let people know? I'll tell you how you can. You don't have to be the guy that's beating everybody over the head with the Bible. 
You need to be the guy that's submitting to God so when the opportunity comes, someone will ask you and that door will open and then the Holy Spirit will speak right through you and give you what you are to say in that moment. And guess what? It's going to be better than anything you can fabricate. And you will just go, wow, your heart will be heavy. You will feel blessed. It could be as simple as, can I pray for you? Can I pray for you? People, God is doing something so much bigger than our actions. It's whether or not we want to really seek him and go, God, use me today. We always get busy. There's always something going on, right? There's always something like that. When you think about that he did this, he gave his only begotten son so that we may have this relationship, it puts it in a new perspective. In other words, we're here because we want to know him more, and how does that look? How do we work that out? And in Romans 5, he's saying there's peace and there's joy and there's hope. And when we go through hardship and sufferings, that we can hope in God. What is the hope? Some people would look at Christians and go, I don't know if I see any hope. Maybe because they just spent three hours watching the news. I say that because I purposely, people can get mad. I'm not telling you what to do. I'm telling you my life is happier when I don't let certain things in it. And no, I'm not in denial. I just, why why put things in my mind I can't change? Other than the weather, not my problem. I want it, this is enough for me. And I still hear about stuff, so it's not like, well, Pastor Sean says you should be in the sand with your head in the sand. I'm saying if you're angry at dinner and your kids don't want to talk to you, maybe you should turn the news off. If only things that come out of your mouth is murderous hate content and talk, then maybe you should stop doing whatever's putting that in there. If listening to certain music makes you think a way that you know is ungodly, maybe you shouldn't listen to it. Right? Certain things like that. You just, you know, I don't need to tell you, but a good, as a pastor, I should. I, I speak to myself the same way. There's certain things I know, yeah, just don't do that. It's not good. I know the end, and it doesn't make me feel good. Right? Why insanity is doing the same thing over wanting a different result, right? When we start to live for Christ the way it says to, things begin to happen. We get these little waypoints in our life and our faith, and we can look back and go, thank you, Jesus. Some of the promises, one, God promises us salvation. Seeking God could lead to salvation and eternal life. The Bible states that whoever believes in him shall not perish and have eternal life. The other one is guidance. God promises to guide those who seek him. In Proverbs 3, 5 through 6, it says, Trust in the Lord with all of your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, not just some of them, not on Tuesday, not just on Wednesday, but in all of your ways submit to him. Submit to him, come underneath him, right? in all your ways, and he will make your paths straight. Peace. Seeking God can bring inner peace. In Philippians 4, 7, it says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. These are promises. The peace of God, it doesn't matter what you're going through, will hold you still in his arms. Amen? He can do that because he loves you. He loves you. Strength. God offers strength to those who seek him during challenging times. Isaiah 41.10 says, So do not fear, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Forgiveness. When we seek God with a repentant heart, it leads to forgiveness of our sins. 1 John 1.9 says, It sure as if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But what's our first step? We must confess. 
God, I'm struggling with this. I can't get over it. And we've talked about the sins. There's these the outward physical sins. Eating bad is a sin. Smoking is sin. Using drugs, partying is sin. But what about the other sins that we often don't think about? Covetness. Being jealous of our brothers and sisters because we don't think they deserve what they have because we might think we've worked harder. What are some of the other things that we take in and, and hide? You know, because we, it's, this is my area. Not trusting God to provide. Complaining is a sin, right? We can go on a whole list that we would, that would probably fit most of us in this room at one time or another. But if we confess it, he is faithful and true. Provision, God promises to provide for the needs of those who seek him. Matthew 6.33 says, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Get your priorities straight. Instead of just coming and going, God, I need help with my business, give your business to God. God, help me fix this mess. Go, God, how do I not make a mess again? Guide me, direct me. And some of it will take amount of faith where you're like, I don't know, but you feel in your heart you should do it, then do it. If it's unto glorify him, he will bless you. Presence, God promises his presence to those who seek him earnestly. It says in Psalm 145, 18, the Lord is near to all who call on him, to all who call on him in truth. When you're honest with where you're at and you're in truth and you're like, not a religious act like I need to do this, I should. But you know when you're like, he says, seek me, pray, get in the word, leave the phone behind and just get before him, right? Just get before him. He promises that. He's near to those who call on him in truth. In other words, if we're not being honest, don't expect the presence. If you know you're holding back in an area that God has already told you to yield or give to him, don't expect something different when you haven't been obedient in the little, right? Does that make sense? You know, it's like, well, I'm not ready to go into that closet, so I'm going to open this one. That's not how it works. God works in us and through us, and he loves us to help clean and heal us and restore us, but it's on his terms. And they're good terms, church. They're better terms than we even give ourselves because he knows and sees things about us that we don't. Amen? Wisdom. Seeking God can lead to the wisdom and understanding. In James 1.5 it says, and encourages us, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask of God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. You know that God will generously, that means he's going to give you more wisdom than you were probably expecting. He's going to give a generous portion to you in that situation, especially when you want to glorify him with your life. What does that mean? God, I have this great business, or it's growing, or I'm struggling, or I, this neighbor I have a hard time with. Whatever it is, you can give all those, and you can ask for wisdom, because guess what? We need wisdom. The enemy is keen in the world. You need the wisdom to make the right decisions. You can have a lot of head knowledge. It doesn't mean you're wise, right? You could be a brainiac, but it does not mean you have wisdom, right? Wisdom, there's worldly wisdom and there's godly wisdom. I'd say worldly wisdom is you know what, you know what not to do as the younger brother because you saw what happened to your brother. That might give you a little wisdom there. Hey, don't do that. But godly wisdom is way more than that. It's given by God. And you know what it makes me think of? It make, make, makes me think of King Solomon when he said, God, help me lead. He prayed. He said, God, help me lead 
your people. Help me be a leader. Help me be the man you wanted me to be. Now, later he had his issues, but at that moment, God said to him, because you didn't ask for wealth, because you didn't think of yourself solely, I will give you the wisdom that you've asked for. And he blessed him with wisdom. And people used to travel thousands of miles to hear what he would have to say because it was godly wisdom. And we need that today for your family, for your kids, for just how to deal with life, for struggles, for our finances, everything we can ask God who gives. And then comfort. God offers comfort to those who seek him in times of sorrow. Psalm 34, 18 states, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. God is close to those who are brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. In other words, you are exhausted. You have nothing left to give. You are broken. You are humbled. You know you need it, and he will come and comfort you. Some of you need that kind of a comfort. And then it's our eternal home. For believers seeking God leads to the promise of eternal home with him. Jesus said in John 14, 2 through 3, my father's house has many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I am going where I go. I'm going to prepare a place for you. Remember that, the, that he's saying, I have gone to prepare a place for you. If it was not so, I would not have told you. Jesus is even telling his disciples as he's preparing them because he knows he's going to go away. And if you remember correctly, even in, in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the disciples kind of got it, but then they didn't. They dropped the ball, then they get it, and then they dropped the ball. They weren't always getting it. But there was something that happened. And I believe it's, it's important for us today, you know, um, when we think about what is the difference and someone sent me a video of uh, Keith Green the other day, which I thought was interesting. And I remembered this from a long time ago. And it talked about how, um, it, he was talking about how he came to Jesus. And if you don't know who Keith Green was, he was a hippie during like the, the hippie movement, the 60s and everything else. And here's a guy that says, well, I just knew that in every single religion, they always contribute some honor to Jesus. They say Jesus was a teacher, or Jesus was a prophet, or Jesus was a Buddha. He was a Buddha, just one of them. He was a teacher. He was this, all these things. And he's like, you know what's interesting is they all recognized that Jesus is a significant person, but he wasn't Lord. He was just a significant person. But Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Those were his words. That's what he said about himself. Everyone else had something to say about him, but they didn't want to say that. And that's how the world is. They, they can say, yeah, Jesus, there's good teachings in the Bible. They're missing it. It's a relationship with God. And Jesus has given us that, that we can walk in a newness of life. And it gives us hope. When the world seems hopeless, this isn't our home. The kingdom of God is not of this world. And God can do a new thing in you and strengthen you and restore you and comfort you. And not just for you, but for the person next to you. He can give you the comfort to give and the wisdom to help that individual. Because we are, in a way, the hands and feet of the Lord working in the community. Are we not? We always, it's not about what someone else, if you're willing to be used by God, I believe that's how you draw close to God. And not out of a manipulative way that you feel like you're going to get some attaboy. It's because you want to serve him. And as you grow to know him, you just don't want to offend him. Amen? Would you stand with me, please? Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for your purposes, Lord. I thank you all the promises, even the ones that we just read. 
that, Father, we can apply those in our lives. That, Father, when we seek you first, Lord God, that, that you will give us the guidance that we need, that you will give us the comfort that we need. I thank you, Lord God, that you put it in everybody's heart, even here today, to be here today, to know your word. Even on a, on a three-day weekend, Lord, it's a, a blessing to be here, Lord, and to see those that are hungry for your word. So I just thank you for that. I pray as we go from this place that we would, we would just be reminded of your goodness, Lord, that it is by your grace alone. That, Father, as it says in Ephesians 2, it is by grace and it's by uh, our faith in you and what you've done. And, Lord, help us see what that actually means in our day-to-day -day lives. Lord, help us not overthink the things that we don't need to, but just help us be sensitive to your spirit. And those in this room who haven't made that commitment to really follow you, I pray that today would be that day that they would choose to say, Lord, I need you in my life. I know that I'm a sinner. I want to start fresh. I want a new life. Give me your wisdom. Help me understand your word. Lord, for those that need the comfort, we thank you that you give comfort. You are the God of all comfort, Lord. So, Father, as we go from this place, we ask that you would bless this uh, rest of this day, that our eyes would be before you. Lord, we just thank you. And in Jesus' name, all God's people said, amen. We are here to pray for you. If you need prayer, don't hesitate. Come up. We'd love to pray for you. And have a blessed week.